want you to just be right at home and just worship the Lord with us. And if you don't mind, before you leave, there's a card in the chair in front of you. If you would take that card out and give us some information about yourself, we'd like to acknowledge your visit today. We won't bother you and spam you and just mail you every week, but we'd just like to let you know how pleased that we are that you came to be with us today. And for all of the regulars that are here, uh, I just love looking at you on Sunday mornings, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you for supporting your church during this summer season, and you're the reason that we don't have to worry about having summer slumps around here because we can experience summer jumps instead because you support your church. Thank you for that. All right, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Now, we've been talking for the last week, we're going to, four more weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of, he did what? I I don't know if you've ever been at a place in your life where Jesus did something in your life that was absolutely amazing. And the only real response that you could have is to stand back and say, he did what? I, I can't believe that he did that hardly. But it is believable because Jesus is a miracle-working Savior, and I'm thankful for that. So today what we want to get our heads wrapped around is this idea that divine miracles manifest where there is human need, divine purpose, and simple faith. Bill, don't let me get too loud today. I don't know if I am or not, but if I am, cut me back just a bit in the house, but not in the monitors. Thank you. You're a, you are a miracle worker, my man. Thank you. Divine miracles manifest where there is human need, where there is divine purpose, and where there is simple faith. Now, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54 says, says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son shall live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son shall live. And he himself believed and all his household. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now today, the the miracle that we're going to talk about is very different than the miracle that we looked at last week. If you'll remember, uh, the very first miracle that Jesus performed was turning water into wine. 
It was insignificant in the long run, really. It was just a matter of convenience. They were having a party, a wedding, and at the, con- at, at the conclusion, they ran out of wine. And so Jesus turned water into wine so that they could have sufficient supply. No one was dying. No one was sick. No one was dead and needed to be raised. No one was deaf or mute and and had their ears open and their mouth loose, their tongue loose. It was just simply a matter of convenience. And, And what we deduced from that is the fact that Jesus cares about every little thing in our life. You know, sometimes we only consider going to Jesus when something of of magnitude is happening in our life. But Jesus loves us at all times, and he cares about every little thing that is happening in our life. Now, today the miracle we're going to look at was a little bit different. In fact, it was considerably different. Because when the nobleman came to Jesus, it was evident that his child was dying. Now, if you have a child, and and many of us, I don't know if you've ever had one that that the prognosis was that they could possibly die, I I would imagine that that would be very difficult to to handle and to process. Uh, More than likely, we've had small little things. They may have fallen and scraped their arm, or they may have broken a bone, or they may have done something uh, of minor significance, but... But this was a major deal because when the nobleman came, he said, I need for you to come because my child is dying. So it was a a time where Jesus needed to respond immediately and there needed to be a great resolution to the problem. So there are four things I want to mention to you very quickly. And I want to go ahead and put in your mind that at the end of the service today, We're going to pray for those of you who may be dealing with sickness in your body. If you've got any kind of ailment or sickness in your body, we're going to pray that the healer will heal you, that the miracle worker will provide a miracle in your life. It may be that there's another type of situation that you're facing. How many of you know that God cares about that and he can meet that need? So I want you to begin building your faith and preparing your faith and saying in your mind, when he calls for prayer today, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to go. I'm going to pursue the Lord and I'm going to receive what God has for me. But before we do that, there are four things that I want to share with you by way of observation of this miracle. And the first one is simply this. The man had an urgent need. As I've already said, His need was one that needed an immediate touch from the Lord. It was something of great significance. Notice his words in verse 46. It says that his son was sick. That word sick there, can in, it, it can mean diseased or, or something of significance. Now, how many of you know you can have a sniffly nose, and while you may be sick, it's not life-threatening? What he's trying to say to Jesus here is that my child has contracted something that is going to take his life. He is sick. He's diseased. It is something of great and urgent need. And then in verse 47, he tends to suggest that that the progress of this sickness and this disease has the child close to death. That's what he says. My child is not only sick and diseased, 
but he is close to death. And then he continued to plead with Jesus, and he says to him, come down before my child dies. In other words, he's saying to Jesus, we don't have time to just hang out here. We don't have time to just take our time. We need to get down there because my child is dying. So it was urgent. It was a situation uh, where it it was urgent in that moment. It's clear to me that this is how the work of grace begins in our hearts. You know, it, 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 it's interesting to me that people who are not going through difficulty often refuse to seek the help of the Lord. On a day-to-day basis, if everything is fine and dandy, just like sugar candy, we don't, we don't really want to bother the Lord with our needs. We don't really want to go to Him every day. But you just let something bad happen to us And then we want to get in touch with Jesus. We want to pray to him. We want to ask everyone else to pray for for us. But what I want you to see is, is that if we have the kind of relationship with Christ that he wants us to have, then whether we're up or whether we're down, whether we're in, whether we're out, whether we're happy, glad, or sad, we have access to the throne room of God. We can go boldly unto the throne of grace so that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. It is true that when we are brought into a place of urgent need and all human help has failed, then we are ready and willing to turn to the Lord. I remember several years ago when my wife was having some electrical issues with her heart. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we sought the prayers of others. We asked people that we believe to be people of faith to pray with her and for her. But for some reason, she was not relieved from that situation. And we end up having to go to the Cleveland Clinic where uh, she had a world-renowned physician, surgeon, to do surgery on her. And I remember uh, saying to him before he took her back to pray, I said, we've been praying for you. He said, why are you praying for me? Who's praying for me? I said, oh, we have, we have friends all around the world that are praying for not only my wife, but praying for you as well. We've already been praying. We're not just now starting to pray. We're not just now engaged in prayer because of the circumstance, but we've been praying from day one when this sickness, this ailment raised its ugly head against my wife. We've been praying for you, that you would be the best that you've ever been before. And I believe, sir, that when you walk out of this surgery today, you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and smile and say, I've never been as good as I was today. Now, he thought I was crazy, but there wasn't a crazy bone in my body. I was believing that Jesus would work a miracle on her behalf. And now, to the best of my knowledge, the only time that her heart flutters is when she looks at me and says, wow, what a man. You see, when our need is great, we are driven 
to the Lord. We are driven to pray concerning the need. You might remember the prodigal son in the New Testament who came to his father and he said, Dad, I'm ready to leave home. I want my inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die. I'm young enough to enjoy it now and to spend it now and I want you to give it to me. And even though it was not for his good, he gave him his inheritance. And he went out and he spent all of it on the parties of this world. He spent it on wine and women, if you will, and everything that he could think of to bring pleasure to himself. But there come a day, came a day when the resources were gone and the money was gone. And the scripture says, when he began to be in need, he started considering the reality that maybe I need to go home to dad's house. Because even if I am a servant in my father's house, it is better than living with these swine and these pigs in this, in this mud hole. And he began to realize his need. I believe that some of you this morning at the sound of my voice are going to begin to understand that you have a great need for God to intervene in your life. It may be that some of you are just playing church and doing religious things uh, when it is convenient for you. But let me tell you something. When you get to the place where Jesus Christ is the only thing that you have, you're going to discover that he is the very thing that you need. More than you need houses and land, more than you need money, more than you need a better job, more than you need another another car, more than you need another relationship. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is your all in all. He will be everything that you need him to be. An urgent need. Human need is the conduit through which divine grace is delivered. Let me say it again. Human need is the conduit through which divine grace is delivered. It's almost as though that when you're in need, God sets up this big PVC pipe and he directs his blessings right to you. Oh, he doesn't give it an opportunity to splash over here and splash over there and possibly miss you with the blessing that he has planned for you. No, God has a way of getting to you exactly what you need at the moment that you need it. His grace is available and it will come to you at the point of your need. So he had an urgent need. Number two. In the midst of having an urgent need, he heard about Jesus. Verse 47 tells us, somebody told him about the Lord. Now, I don't know who it was. Scripture really doesn't say. But I have a theory about this because, you see, the nobleman lived in Capernaum. But where he was, where Jesus was, was in Cana. You know what Jesus did in Cana last week? He turned water into wine in Cana. And so the nobleman who was in Capernaum heard what Jesus had done in Cana. Now it's about 25 miles from Cana to Capernaum. And so when he heard the news, he determined that I have got to get myself into the presence of this man, Jesus Christ. I want to say to you today that your testimony has great power. I want you to, to know today that the words that you speak... And the world that you are assigned to has the potential to turn the world upside down.
He can do it through you. In Acts chapter 17, when the disciples and those who had been following Christ and who were filled with the Holy Spirit when they came to town, somebody said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I don't know about you, but I want to be a world transformer. I want to turn my world upside down. And the way that you do that is by telling others about how good God has been to you. I would like to suggest to you that you're going to have to change your demeanor. You're going to have to change the way you talk. You're going to have to change the way you look. You need to wash your face and wipe the tears and square your shoulders and say, even though I may not have yet seen my miracle and the transformation that I've been praying for, I know that my God is able. He's a miracle worker. He can do it in my life. And I'm going to proclaim it so that I can have my faith built and I can build the faith of others who are close to me. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of the Lord. How many of you know if you don't have enough faith today, the reason you don't have enough faith is because you're not hearing enough of the word of God. Now listen, if the only time that you hear the word of God is when you come to church on Sunday morning and hear me preach, I'm telling you, you're in a world of hurt. I do the best I can to, with what I have to work with, but I, I've already told you, I told you when I came, I'm nothing but a Southern Illinois redneck. There are some things that I just don't know how to give you, but I'm telling you that when you read the Word of God and when you study the Word of God and you walk in the Spirit of God, truth can be illuminated in your spirit and your faith will begin to grow as you catch what God is doing. When we gather here, it's not just so that you can hear some good music. And boy, didn't they, didn't they sing good this morning and didn't they play good this morning? I tell you, I enjoyed it. You couldn't see it, but my toes were dancing inside my shoes. I was having a good time worshiping the Lord. But it's not just about coming to church and singing a song and hearing a sermon and, and doing this, paying my tithe and giving in the offering. Those things are good and they should be done. But I'm telling you, we've got to come with an expectation not only of what God is going to do in our lives, but how that someone else can be blessed by my own life and testimony. Man, I, I, I want to get close to people and let them know what God has done for me. Let them know about the times that he's healed my body. Let them know about the times that he's given me wisdom when I didn't know what to do. Given me the knowledge that I needed in a situation when I was ignorant of what to say and what to do. I want others to know how good God is and how wonderful that he is to me. And the only way that I know how to transfer that message from me to you is to get where you are and start talking about the blessings and the goodness of God. But sometimes we get so self-absorbed. Now, hold on just for a minute. I've asked the Lord to help me to be good and to be nice. And I'm going to do my best to do that. But listen, this is true. We can get so self-absorbed sometimes that we don't think about anybody else but us. And we're sitting at home in a moment when we're feeling despondent and discouraged and frustrated. And we just think, well, I'm going to tell the whole world about how discouraged that I am. And so we open up Twitter. 
we open up Facebook, we open up Instagram, and we start talking about how bad our day is going and how terrible it is. And did you know that that testimony that you're throwing out into the atmosphere will live forever and people will see it. And sometimes people by the hundreds will see it. And rather than them thinking that your God is able to lift you up and encourage you and strengthen you, they'll just say, well, poor little thing. I, you know, they're always in some kind of mess. They've always got some kind of difficulty. Something's always going down. Listen, God has not called us to be despondent. He has not called us to be depressed. He has not called us to be discouraged. He's called us to rise above our circumstances and declare that the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God is ours every moment of every day and in every circumstances. It will not only encourage you and lift you, but it will encourage everyone around you. Your testimony is important. My testimony will either promote or prevent faith. The Lord gave me that this week. I was sitting and praying and thinking about this message. And he said, listen, tell them that their testimony will either promote or prevent faith. You say, what do you mean? It's not my fault if someone else doesn't have faith. It might be. It might be your fault if you've been hanging around them. And every time you get a latte together, all you can do is talk about how bad life is. It might be your fault if all you do is call them when the going gets tough and tell them how discouraged and frustrated you are. Be nice, pastor. Be nice. It might be your fault when you stay home three or four weeks at a time from church and they say, why haven't you been going to church? And you say, well, I just haven't felt like like it. Life is tough. Life is busy. I thought you were a believer. Yeah, I am. And I'm going to start again next month. You see, we have influence with other people. And when you're sitting at home and things are going bad and you're thinking about, I don't think I'll go worship today. I, you know, I've got a bill that needs to pay, be paid, so I don't think I'll give God what is his today. I don't think I, I'll do that, even though the scripture says, bring it to the storehouse and test me and see if I will not pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain. I don't think I'll do that this time. I don't think I'm going to sing this week. I may go, but I don't think I'm going to sing. My leg hurts. My knee hurts. My thumbs hurt. If I clap my hands, I might break one of my thumbs right off my hand. You see, we have influence with others. And if our talk and our demeanor is always negative, then we may be preventing them from experiencing the faith that they need to let God move in their lives the way that God needs to move. But I also have the influence to promote faith. I can walk around and talk about how good God is. I can talk about the blessings. I can talk about the financial blessings that have come into my life. I can talk about the healing virtue of God in my body. I can talk about the fact that a a few years ago, a doctor looked at me and said, if you don't stop eating Krispy Kreme donuts, you're going to die from diabetes. And she has helped me to get to the place now where the last time I went in, she applauded me and said, it's under control. 
and everything is all right. And I had to say, I'm thankful for your help, but it isn't that way because of what you did. It is that way because of what Jesus has done in my life. Listen, I want to tell you that when we begin to talk about the good things that God has done, you can't help but influence other people in your life. Whatever I want to look up here, if you will, right now. And I want you to look at me. And I want to explain to you what I'm talking about through an illustration. And I think you'll be able to see it. These lights above me create a shadow of my physical being. And the ones that are right above me create a shadow that is closer to my body. Because it is right above me. And you can see that my shadow extends right in this area. But there are also lights over here that are illuminating my body from this side. And the shadow extends all the way over there. Can you see it on the wall? And so what I'm trying to say is, is that that when Jesus is far away from us and he's way up there in heaven and and, you know we have to call him down every now and then to come in fellowship with him then because of our lack of fellowship with Christ our influence is basically just on us it is a small circle of influence But when we bring him down to the realm in which we are walking, then as his light illuminates on us, it allows our influence to spread further and wider than ever before. So what I'm suggesting to you today is, is that as you get closer to Jesus, your influence is going to spread. I remember in the Old Testament where one of the men in in that day prayed and said, expand my borders, Lord, so that I can have influence on your behalf. I remember the, the New Testament New Testament talks about, uh, talks about uh, Paul, who when he couldn't get to people, he would take a knife or scissors and he would cut off a portion of his, his garment and anoint it with oil and send it, even though he couldn't be there. The miracle working power of God could be extended through him. I remember the scripture talks about the apostle Peter and how that he would walk through where sick people were and deaf and lame and dead in their bodies. And the Bible says that when his shadow passed upon them, dead people would get up. Deaf people would begin to hear. Dumb people would begin to talk. Those who were sick in their bodies uh, would begin to be made whole by the power of God that was flowing through Peter. Peter, let me tell you, I want to see a church that is so full of the power of God and the anointing of God that wherever we are and whatever we say and whatever we do uh, will, will be what needs to be to see the transformation of someone else's life. So when I invite you to come to church, I'm not just doing it for you. We need you around here. We need your testimony. We need your word. We need for you to declare what Jesus Christ has done for you. Acts chapter 14 says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews 
stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That's the reason the psalmist said in chapter 19, verse 14, he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Revelation chapter 12, it's talking about when the devil came to this earth and how that he was being destroyed and overcome. It says, and they, talking about the overcomers, said, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Let me tell you your mouth is needed. Your voice is needed. Your testimony is needed. You may be the one who is responsible for someone else receiving their miracle today. Look at your neighbor and say I'm going to change the way I've been talking. Thank you for both of you who said that. Thirdly After he heard about Jesus, after someone said, you know, there's this man named Jesus who turned water into wine. I'll bet you he could touch your child. After he heard about it, he pursued Jesus. I've already told you 25 miles from Capernaum to Cana. How many of you know he couldn't call an Uber? He couldn't call a Lyft and get there in a matter of minutes. 25 miles in those days was a significant period of time. It was a significant investment of time. They couldn't just snap their fingers and be there. But he had heard about Jesus. He'd heard about what Jesus could do. And he was willing to pursue. Notice what happened. He came with expectation. He didn't come and just say, well, I hope he can. I... You know, this guy named Jesus, he really doesn't have a whole lot on his resume. And, you know, he's really only done one miracle. And it was just one of convenience. It was just a matter of turning water to wine. I don't know if he can really raise anybody from the dead or if he can heal the sick. I don't really know. You know, it could be. It might be. It should be. What if it is? What if it's not? I don't know. I don't know either. All I know is that something sparked in his spirit. And he said, I don't have any other hope. I don't have any other answer. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to pursue. I don't know where else to go. So I'm going to pursue this man named Jesus and I'm going to believe with every ounce of energy in my body that he is able to heal my child. He pursued with expectation and then he asked. Now his first ask was informational. He just simply said, my son is sick. My child is sick. It was informational. But then he asked a second time, and his next ask was urgent. Not only is is he sick, but you need to come now. I need for you to come with me now. But here's the next thing I want you to see. He acted in faith even when he could not see the proof of the miracle. And that's where so many of us give up. You know, we live in a society where we want everything right now. We live in a microwave society, and if God's going to do it, I need him to do it now. If I'm going to drive through Taco Bell, I don't know why I would ever do that. But if I ever did, my expectation would be, I want my taco now. 
Every time my wife says, you know, I'd like to go to Taco Bell today, I start praying for a miracle that she'll change her mind. But when I get there, I don't want to wait. How much time could it be, take to build one of those stupid things? There's nothing in them anyway. You know, it's just, well, whatever. We want it now. Pastor, I want this now. I want God to do a miracle now. I want my money to get better now. Listen, you didn't get where you are financially in two days. God may not work that miracle for you in two days. It may take a little bit of time. Sometimes we got to dig out of that, that pit that we put ourselves in. But that doesn't mean just because it takes time doesn't mean that God hasn't already secured the answer for you. It doesn't mean that God hasn't heard you and the miracles on the way. Just ask Daniel. In the Old Testament, the scripture says that he prayed and asked the Lord for an answer, but the answer did not come until 21 days later. But the Bible says that when the angel came with the answer, he said, Daniel, the Father wants you to know that he heard your prayer and sent the answer the very day that you asked him. There's been spiritual warfare going on in the heavenlies, but we broke through, and here's the answer. The answer is yours. It may take some time, but let me tell you that God will work out his will in your life if you'll be patient. Time. Time. And then finally, and I have to quit. Come to the music if you will. He received his divine miracle. Now I want you to notice the process here. Jesus spoke the miracle into existence. Before he saw it, Jesus spoke. He heard the words of Jesus. And then he heard a confirming word on the way back. You see, he didn't question Jesus. He didn't say, well, Lord, I need a sign. I need to see it now. Jesus already had that covered. He said, you know, it's funny to me that unless you see a sign, you can't believe. You remember doubting Thomas? When they said to Thomas, he's alive. We have seen him. He said, I will not believe unless I see it. I, I've got to see it. I've got to put my eyes on it. Because only then will I be able to believe. Let me just go ahead and tell you right up front. You're going to miss an awful lot of miracle working in your life. And divine movements of God on your behalf. If you're not willing to trust God in the darkness. You have to be willing to accept his word and his will. When you cannot see it. And it has not yet materialized in your life. But I want you to notice what Jesus said to him. He said, he said, I'm not coming with you. He said, I'm not going down there with you. He said, but you can go. And you can take this promise with you. Your child shall live. Think about the faith that required. Think about him having to say, well, Lord, I, you know, really, maybe, maybe just a little glimpse. He got nothing. 
And it was not until he was on his way home that a confirming word came to him through his servants who were coming to find him and they wanted to tell him something. And you read it. The scripture says as he was returning back to Capernaum, he saw his servants on the road. And when he arrived at the destination where his servants were, his servant said, your child is beginning to recover. And then notice what he said. He said, approximately what time did this process begin? And the Bible says that they told them about this time of the day, the fever left him. And the nobleman put it all together and said to himself, that was the exact time that Jesus said, you can go and your child will live. He couldn't see it. But Jesus had already started the process. Can I tell you today that you're not, your miracle is not based on what you see with your eyes. It's, it's not based on what you feel. I love this song that they just sang a few minutes. Even though I can't see it, he's still working. Even though I can't feel it, he's still working. What, what helps us to be able to say that is our faith in his word. His word. His word. Let me remind you, divine miracles resolve problems. And they reveal the provider. Let me say it again. Divine miracles receive problems and they reveal the provider. When God works a miracle in your life, let me show you, let me tell you that it's going to show the glory of of God in your life. It's going to be noticeable. God's going to do something in such a way that He is revealed in your life. I, I... I remember when I came to this church eight years ago. I felt like I was on one of those rides at Kentucky Kingdom. You know, we used to call it the Black Widow or the the one where it was not here, but in another one we used to go to, it had cars around and it would just go around and around and the car would take you out and bring you back and take you out and bring you back and take you out and bring you out. And I can remember loving it, but then as I got older, it was like, oh Jesus, deliver me, Lord Jesus. Help me, Lord, let surely this will be the last time around. Surely it's almost over. Surely, God, There will be relief. Surely there will. And you just simply had to wait the time out. Oh, yes, there were times I wanted to release the seatbelt and jump out in Jesus' name. But you just simply had to wait. And I remember when we first came, it just seemed like every other day Erlene was coming into my office and giving me news that I really wish she'd have just kept to herself. I I really wish that she wouldn't have said some of the things that she said to me, but I I don't 
know how many times that my only response to her could be, I, I, I don't have any answers, but I know the one who does. And if we'll pray, he'll provide. And I'm telling you, in the last eight years, I have seen $12,000 walk in the door when $12,000 was needed. I've seen $20,000 appear when we weren't expecting it. I've seen $15,000, $16,000 come in, and I didn't have a clue that it was coming. I've seen 11,000 square feet of carpet came, come in the door when we didn't even know it existed. I'm, I'm telling you, God, when He gets on a, on, on a roll, He does things that you can't even imagine and you can't even think and and you can't pray for it because you don't know it's about to happen and then when it's over you just throw your hands up and say God I don't know how but somehow while we were waiting on you the answer came and look where we are today because of him and let me also say look where you are today because of him I'm so proud of you I could name names today and I won't do it, but I've noticed that you're making better decisions. I've watched you in years past make decisions that brought hurt and pain into your life and you're not making those decisions anymore. You're standing strong. And even though you may be tempted, you're saying, no, I know what that will get me. I think I'm just going to keep walking with Jesus. I think I'm just going to keep trusting Him. I don't know how the answer will come. I don't know when it'll come, but I know that He is more than able to provide everything that I have need of. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud of the work that God is doing in you. And all I can say is it just excites me to see what the future will hold for you and your families. What God intends to do. You know what I believe today? I believe God intends to heal some people. I believe God's going to bring healing to your bodies and to your minds today. I've been praying all week, Lord, will you manifest yourself in healing power today? The scripture says, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. And we're going to anoint you with oil today. And we're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe that God will do. And we're going to worship. And so if you're here this morning, I'd like for you, if you have a need in your body, you need a miracle from the Lord. I want you to stand up out of your seats right now and come down here.